listening to The Reese Show. On this show, we're trying to clarify what a good future looks like. I know we're all a bit sad about late-stage capitalism, and we want to transition to something, but we don't really know what's next. So, on the show, we interview experts about what is emerging, this beautiful future vision that we can all lean into. I hope it gives you a sense of purpose and clarity about the future. If you like the show, you know, feel free to do something about it. <laughs> you can leave us a five-star review. You can tell your friends. You can name your first child Reese. Whatever makes you happy. And if you really dig it, we have an online school called Root, where we help folks understand these root-level systems to find our route forward. We have cohorts of world-class systems thinkers that run every couple of months. So if you're interested in that, check us out at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co. Thanks. Hey folks, today I interview Eli Pariser, who leads the Civic Signals Project, which is a great project around digital public infrastructure and digital public spaces. And it's just a great conversation because there's so much design space in the intersection of, it's very simple. You just take the idea of parks and libraries and stuff and put them into digital spaces and you get a lot of interesting questions that result. So enjoy the conversation today. And also as a note, Eli's organization is having a great event uh, January 14, uh, 12th through 14th uh, called the New Public Festival. So check that out at newpublic.org slash festival and, and give it a check out. I think if you want to get into digital spaces, this is a great uh, way to do so. So thanks and enjoy the episode today. Bye. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm excited to chat with Eli Pariser. Eli is an author, activist, and entrepreneur focused on how to make technology and media serve democracy. He's had many roles in his past, including the executive director of MoveOn.org and the author of the 2011 book Filter Bubble. That was before people were talking about it. <laughs> and he's now the co-director of New Public, which is a community of folks building the digital public spaces of the future. Eli, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thanks, Reese. Really, really glad to be here. Yeah, excited to dive in. And it's funny, and Eli kind of and I were kind of chatting about this before the show, but like uh, the they're having an event soon for New Public, which just has a bunch of great people on it, and some of which have been on the podcast before. And so uh, I reached out to Eli and thought it'd just be a great idea for us to kind of collaborate and kind of come together and talk about these digital public spaces of the future. But before we kind of dive into that and digital public imp- infrastructure, Eli, I just kind of want to know your background a little bit more. Like, how did you, not like the specifics of, you know, moveon.org and things like that, but rather just like for you in your being, like what drives you into you know, democracy and technology and, and making technology and media kind of serve democracy. Tell us a little bit more about your background there. Yeah, I mean, um, part of it is growing up in a small town um, in Maine. It was 900 people. And, um, you know, having a real sense of what civic institutions do in this very tangible way for communities. Like we, we, we had, you know, whole town meetings in the, in the school, uh, you know, basement and, um, yeah, they weren't always like nice or easy, but, um, we, we saw, I saw as a kid, you know, what could happen in those spaces positively and negatively, um, for the community. And so, um, I think that's, that's one piece. And then the other is, you know, I've always been a nerd and a technologist and excited about what digital tools could do. And I think, um, you know, started out as someone who is just um, really kind of on the technology is going to democratize everything and empower everyone. And it's going to be so great kind of um, uh, bandwagon. And um, I think, you know, over the course of, of, growing up with the internet, um, I think it's become clearer and clearer that like that is possible, but definitely not inevitable. And so a lot of where I'm energized is like, how do we um, push the incredible leverage and force of um, technological change toward supporting the kinds of like spaces and ways of relating 
and communities that actually make people um, you know, joyful, whole humans and community with each other. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the f- first part, the, the funny part of, yeah, you actually saw democracy in action. And I'm, I'm reminded <laughs> of, I went to a local like neighborhood community meeting when I was starting in my you know 20s when I was starting to get more excited by like my community you know uh, civic being a good civic person and I went to a local community meeting and it was so sad because it was like a NIMBY versus YIMBY vibe and it just had and it was like I felt like it it was a painful three hours which I know that that is maybe what it's (laughs) supposed to be but it just I, I it was um, a little bit tough. And then what you said again about the um, <laughs> starting as, you know, with the kind of techno utopian side and then seeing once you've just lived on the Internet for, you know, five seconds, roughly, you can see both the amazing amazingness that I can have and the kind of sadness that I can you know create. And so having that perspective of like, hey, how do we nudge folks towards a, a better version of this? So yeah. Think- and I mean, I'll just tell you one one other story from from Lincolnville, where I grew up, which is, um, you know, specifically there was, uh, you know, this big debate in the town about a new uh, playground for the school. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some folks didn't want to raise taxes in order to spend the money necessary to build the playground. And other folks felt like it was this important investment in the kids. And the kind of bargain that was struck was that there was going to be some funds allocated, but that the community was going to build it together. And I actually was there, you know, it was like this weekend, there was like a playground raising, um, you know, when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, it was so memorable as this kind of um, moment of of folks who weren't actually agreeing, kind of figuring out how to do something together. And so, I mean, it's it's almost a little like too on the nose as a story, but, (laughs) um, you know, but but that sense of like, it, it can happen um you know i think also is a is a big piece for me of just kind of like I, i'll never um give up on on the optimism that it is possible for people to do just amazing things with each other yeah i love that i think yeah once you because for, for many folks maybe they haven't seen that or whatever and so they don't have that kind of oh wow this is super possible and actually amazing it also reminds me of some of when they bring folks together from the other side or whatever and a thing that brings them together and helps them like see each other as humans more is working together on a shared project. And so that just makes me think, yeah, this is an amazing story of a disagree and commit as well, where it's like, Hey, maybe you disagreed yep. with the building of this thing, but you know, what? we're actually going to build it together and that's going to be, we're going to come together. So that's a cool story. Totally. Yeah. I think, um, so to kind of diving into the, you know, the digital public infrastructure side here, um, I guess just to get our listeners up to speed, could you kind of give an overview of, you know, digital spaces and digital public infrastructure, and then also how new public wants to kind of help steward and create them? Yeah, sure. Um, So I I think the best place to start is, um, you know, in the research that I've been doing um, with Talia Stroud, who's my research partner at the University of Texas, and who's an amazing communication scholar in her own right. Um, you know, we initially started out with this question of kind of like, let's imagine you're a Facebook or a Twitter and you want to optimize a feed for um, the kind of values and content that support healthy, pluralistic democracy. And and what would you actually optimize? What would the metrics be? And um, so we thought about that for a little bit um, and um, eventually realized that it was kind of it was a distorting way to view the problem, um, which is if you think about it in those terms, you're imagining that the problem of building a healthy uh, society is kind of an information problem. And from our point of view, um, you know, the information is actually a layer on top of human relationships and it's the nature um, and, and, uh, connectedness of those relationships is really kind of the substrata on which healthy societies are built. And so, um, so we started trying to think about a different metaphor that wasn't this kind of informational metaphor. And Talia at one point suggested, well, why don't we think about um, spaces? And when we started thinking about spaces, and obviously this is a metaphor that goes back to like cyberspace, and you know, this is not a a, a new metaphor. But when we really started thinking about it, we realized like, oh a bunch of these problems that feel very novel online are actually problems that um, humans have been grappling with like since the beginning of you know permanent settlements certainly 
because they're really problems about how do you have strangers um, behave each other, you know, with each other uh, in in a shared space. And um, so if we can look at um, the kinds of what is the wisdom that we have from the spaces that work in the physical world, maybe that's a really interesting place to like better diagnose what's missing from the digital world. So when we when you do that move, um, one of the first things that becomes evident is like, um, you know, in the physical world, communities are made up certainly of of lots of private enterprises and private homes, um, but there are also all of these uh, public structures. There are parks and libraries and schools um, and town squares and um, you wouldn't really have the same kind of civic life if you didn't literally have these uh, these spaces. Um, and because they're public, they're not just optimized for one group, at least in theory. Um, they're not, uh, you know, they're they're at least to some degree open to everyone. And um, and we know now from sociologists like Eric Kleinenberg um, that they serve this really incredible function in in kind of weaving the social fabric of a community. Um, and literally, you know, when he was looking at uh, communities during a big heat wave in Chicago, it was the communities that had those social spaces where there were much le uh, m many fewer deaths because, um, you know, people knew to check on the guy who usually sits on the bench in front of the library. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think when we think about that, in physical life, it all of a sudden becomes really clear what's missing from digital life, which is we have these, you know, uh, private spaces, Facebook and Twitter, but we really don't have the same level of public infrastructure online that I think, you know, almost all sociologists would agree we need in in offline communities. And so I think part of what we're trying to investigate is, well, what are the qualities that you want to bring in those institutions? And then how, how might we build them? Yeah, I love that. I think that there's, I mean, the metaphor piece is crucial. I mean, you know, yeah, if you go in with kind of a bad, the, the foundation that you're going in with and that we all have, which is like, oh, let's see if the feed, what the feed has for us and how can we make the feed good? But the feed, that's like a bad, it's like we're a bunch of cows at the trough, you know? And so it's like, yeah. you could make the feed better, but maybe don't use a feed, you know? Yeah, I mean, similarly, it's like, you know, if you were to try to understand how people were, uh, you know, w what behavior was occurring in a high school hallway where all you had is the audio, like you're really missing a whole lot about the body language, who's near whom and making what faces at whom and, you know, talking to whom. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so much that gets stripped out when we focus just on the content of the communication that we make verbally. And, yeah. you know, that's, I think in, in some ways, uh, you know, I, I don't envy, um, I, I think we'll look back on a Twitter or a Facebook and just go like, that was such a, such a impossibly difficult task to try to accommodate billions of humans communicating with each other in such a stripped down um, relational context. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that, yeah, because I think there's kind of two points that you're making there. The first is on the, like, the metaphors themselves and like seeing it as a feed versus seeing it as a public space. And then the second point is about the human layer, um, you know, underneath the kind of information layer up top. And then if you just have the information layer, that's not helpful. Or it's, it's, it's a lot more helpful when you um, can include the human layer. Thinking about that, though, like, you know, there's a classic cartoon, uh, I think from the 90s that says, you know, on the Internet, no one knows you're a dog. And there's, you know, a dog behind the computer. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then whatever. Do you think, I mean, you know, something that the Internet has baked into in this weird way is, you know, you know, thinking about identity and pseudonymity and anonymity. How do you think about trying to integrate that human layer in? if you also want to keep some of the internet's properties of, you know, I, the current properties of identity or how, how do you think about identity and how to create that human layer? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really important and interesting point. And again, you know, if we sort of do this uh, moving back and forth between physical and digital metaphors, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
most people in physical public space most of the time are kind of pseudonymous, pseud pseudonymous, I, for, I forget yeah. how to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, it's always I'm really um, hard to say. I only learned it because I was in the cryptocurrency world for a while. And so it's like, yeah, so pseudonymous, yeah. it's all pseudonymous, pseudonymous. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it's like um, someone might recognize me, but um, but not only do most people not necessarily know who, who I am, um, but uh, you know, there's actually there are a lot of norms that rely on, and I forget what the sociological term is exactly, but it's basically like um, it, it, part of being civil with each other is kind of ignoring when people are revealing private information in public that they might not have wanted to do. And so we all kind of like actually are pretty careful to shield each other from um, the kind of context collapse and viral, um, you know, blow ups of moments that happen online all the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I always think it's frustrating when people kind of say, well, um, on the Internet, you know, uh, you can be whoever you want to be, but in in public spaces, you can't. Um, there's certainly ways in which that's true. Like, uh, you know, when you get to, to, to how people perceive race or gender, um, absolutely. Um, but, but it's also just worth knowing, noting that identity in the physical world is a lot more rich and nuanced than we might imagine. And actually, um, you know, one of my favorite books about all this is a, is a really, it's a gem, um, by William White, who is, um, uh, uh, a, a brilliant kind of like observer of cities in the 1970s. And um, the book uh, is called the, the Public Life of Small Urban Spaces. And, um, you know, one of the things that he observes is actually, you know, if you look at uh, any really well-designed and flourishing public space, um, there's actually these kind of like, uh, uh, you know, gradients of publicity so you can stand right out in the middle of the field or on the bandstand stage and everyone will look at you. Um, but there are also often these nooks and places where people kind of observe others but aren't themselves observed that much. Um, and there's a richness to that that allows people to kind of calibrate just how public they, they want to be. Um, and, and I think it, it, it is one of the real challenges um, that we're facing right now that um, you know, publicness and digital space is this very complicated kind of binary construct where, it, you know, on uh, on the one hand, um, you know, where, where anything that you might say might be seen by millions of people, but probably won't. Um, and that's like a very, there's no physical analog for, for that. Um, <laughs> um so, I mean, I think, it, you know, I, I guess my point would just be, um, I think th there are lessons to be learned in terms of how do people um, have a sense of agency in the degree of publicity that they feel comfortable with in a given context or conversation, rather than, you know, opting in once to, you can share my data with whoever you want, um, and then getting these very weird dynamics that don't feel very natural. Yeah, I love. I think that that's such a funny. It's like, um, and as you were starting to chat about, it, I was like, yeah, it's so crazy our our situation online, where it's like it's as if we were moving through physical space, always hidden, always a two dimensional object. You know, no one could ever see us, and then occasionally, very occasionally, everybody would get a push notification or whatever, and your face would be on everybody's screen. Yeah. So it's like it's totally. just like that doesn't make sense. You know, that's not a good. <laughs> that you should yeah having some degree, and it's just it brings back these ideas of you know friction and how much friction you know free reach versus free speech. It's like yeah. you know people's ability to kind of uh determine both for themselves and with within the environments for the platforms to have you know governance or whatever around the friction with which information flows or whatever so yeah yeah that, that, that's a hopeful future um do you think and i also like what you said about the library piece, or the, sorry the identity at the library piece where it's like and i didn't really think about that we're at the library uh, I, or i think you know i think what a lot of folks say these days is they're like worried about identities and public worlds being um you know uh, surveillance authoritarianism yeah. uh, which is a real worry and also there's this truth which is when you're in a public space and you see the person at the library they're kind of existing pseudonymously you kind of recognize their they're kind of like those random people on twitter where they're you know they're um yeah. 
profile pictures of banana or whatever. And you're like, I don't know you, but I've seen you around. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I think no, that's, that's true. It, and there's this overlay, as you say, of, um, but, and this is true increasingly in both physical public spaces and digital public spaces. Like, if you're um, if you're surveilling, if you're the the company that's doing the surveillance, or if you're um, a government that has the you know um, security cams, then um, you know there's this sort of panoptic quality. Um, you know, so some people can know who everyone is, but most people don't know who most people are. Um, yeah. And that's that's a kind of dangerous um, power power imbalance. But I but I think um, yeah, I just think uh, I, I've always been a little skeptical. People often want to kind of say, well, either like, oh, the solution to civility on the internet um, is just have people use their real names. Or um, on the other hand, you know, uh, ha ha isn't pseudonymity, you know, kind of the, the thing that distinguishes the internet. And I just sort of feel like if you actually observe how people congregate in physical life, it's, it's much more complicated than that. Totally, totally. I think feel like there's in someone at your conference, uh, AZL, Aaron Lewis, yeah. Aaron Z. Lewis is t uh, has had written a good amount about the different identities that folks can be online and how it's especially it's a Gen Z thing, you know, mm -hmm. kids these days, all of the identities. So a thing, a question that I have for you is, you know, when we think about these digital public spaces, you know, and, I'm, and again, doing this mapping, this metaphor mapping between the physical and the digital, you know, how I'm thinking about how it shows up in the UX, because, you know, with physical space, you know, if I go to the store or whatever, I like buy some, you know, some clothes at a store, and maybe close to the store, there's the library, and I'll like walk between the two and yeah. like see a friend or whatever. Um, you know, I just, just the other day, I saw a friend walking around outdoors. I've never seen a friend walking around on the internet. Account. Um, and so how do we, so there's kind of, so how do we like map those into the digital world? And then also, or is it something like on Facebook, you know, right now we just have our feed, but maybe they'll be in the top right corner. There'll be like a, you know, like a public space or something like that. How, how are you kind of thinking about where this shows up in the UX, given that you can, uh, everything is a click away, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the first piece to acknowledge is just, um, it's not that there can't be quasi public spaces that are run for a profit. Um, you know, if you think about a cafe or a bookstore or um, lots of other types of community institutions that are businesses, um, but it is a bookstore is really fundamentally different in terms of the community functions that it serves from a library. And the reason for that is that um, the, the business model is different. And if you were to try to take something like a library and turn it into a VC backed, um, you know, high growth startup, you would lose a whole bunch, I mean, arguably almost all of the social functions that libraries accomplish because um, those functions tend to be labor intensive. Um, you're working with populations that um, don't otherwise have access to some of these materials or this information. And you're often, you know, what, what librarians do a lot of the time is help people in a really intensive way navigate, you know, the informational landscape. And so, you know, if you strip that all out and it's like a, you know, free book delivery service or whatever, um, you're not actually doing the same thing. So I, I think one piece to acknowledge is there, there are pieces of this puzzle that platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube can certainly, um, you know, help solve. And um, part of our work is trying to describe like, what are those pieces and um, how we, we measure which, which of those places are solving them. But I think beyond that, there's also the realization that um, you know, we need other kinds of institutions um, that exist in parallel. And, and this raises the question of like, well, how do people get from point A to point B? And I don't have the perfect answer for that, but I do think if you look at the relationship between Google and Wikipedia, it's an interesting template for how this might work, which is, um, you know, Google sends a ton of traffic to Wikipedia. It's the top search result for a lot of queries. Um, and Google could offer, you know, here's our, here's Encyclopedia Google, um, but it would have less credibility um, because people trust the nature of the kind of institution that Wikipedia is to produce that kind of knowledge. And Wikipedia is organized in a way that um, 
gives people that legitimacy and that trust. And so I think it's interesting to consider um, a world in which, you know, you still have a Facebook or a Twitter that is the gateway for a lot of online attention, but there are whole kinds of conversations and kinds of relationships that are actually pointed outward to community institutions that can do that better. Um, similar to how both platforms pointed people, for example, to like um, opportunities to register to vote in, in the last election. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to happen inside, uh, you know, Facebook proper. Yeah, I like that. I think that there's, well, well A, the, the, on the high growth library side, you know, the VC backed hyper growth in the library. <laughs> That's just, a, again, a funny image, of, you know, like, A, it would be called library with yeah, no right. vowels. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think my friend works at a startup called that. That's okay. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then it would have, yeah, as you said, I mean, they're like, you know, how homeless folks can come in and like use the bathrooms or whatever like that wouldn't happen. And all the helping the old people, you know, like my dad or whatever, use the internet like that obviously wouldn't happen. So yeah, it's just in everybody, there's different places for different things. But um, yeah, it's it's not just like you can map the business model or you can map the, I, the, the function that it serves without mapping the business model as well and how the business model affects things. Yeah. It's, I mean, let me, let me actually just underscore one other piece there, which yeah. is, you know, I think especially with the advent of, um, you know, the internet and mobile phones and all of that kind of stuff, like libraries have really um, been reconsidering what it means to be a library because um, you're not the place that everybody has to go to get all of the information if, if you can't, um, you know, if you can't afford uh, to buy the book. Um, and, you uh, you know, I think what we're learning is that there is this immense value from libraries, but the value is unlocked um, really in two ways. One is uh, the space itself. So um, a lot of libraries actually are like the meeting room for a lot of really important community conversations that couldn't happen if you needed to rent a $300 an hour, you know, meeting room for AA or whatever. Um, and, and there's all this like serendipitous interaction that happens in the hallway as you know, the AA meeting and the small business, um, you know, small business uh, like information session, you know, sort of pass each other in the in the hallway. Um, I think the second piece is, you know, libraries are increasingly like they're a way of funding the human infrastructure that is librarians, which is this expert skill. Um, and uh, you know, one way that I kind of think about that is it's kind of like, you know, it's digital digital essential work, digital care work um, that um, we need in these digital spaces that's equivalent to that kind of expertise. Like when you look at well-tended public spaces, there are generally people who are really good at navigating these complicated situations that arise um, in public space. And I think we've imagined that um, we could do that on a kind of like self-appointed volunteer basis online. And I think it's pretty evident that that's not working mostly. Um, and yeah. so um, how do we build the institutions that can just give people the jobs that to, to make community work? Because it turns out you need that. Yeah, I like that. I think that there's a funny, like, it's, I mean, it's kind of like the, what we've done instead is, you know, Facebook has hired, you know, tens of thousands of people to do content moderation and then they get PTSD or whatever. And like, yeah. that's obviously not the exactly what we want. Something more like the library thing with care work and essential work, um, you know, maintainers and like navigating, you know, the, those yeah. intense you know, social situations. That's what you know, we need. The point, go. Well, so, sorry. I don't, I don't mean to like, no, it's just, it, um, I was just thinking, I mean, I read this really fascinating kind of end of year one of the pandemic, beginning of year two piece in the Atlantic um, mm -hmm. that pointed Ed Young. to, He's yeah, Ed, Ed Young, amazing. <laughs> and um, he has this anecdote about Rwanda. And so Rwanda is not a wealthy nation, 12 million people. Um, I believe they've had something like 8,000 COVID cases in total and 70 something deaths. Um, so just an extraordinary success story in a, a, a place and a part of the world that um, you might not expect it. And so the question is like, well, what what's driving that? And, um, you know, while Western countries tend to focus a lot of their medical care um, in hospitals and in centralized uh, bureaucracies, um, Rwanda has this kind of community health system where there are people in every community um, that are 
the community health workers and they're known and they're trusted and they know their communities. And um, it turns out that in a pandemic, having that infrastructure is really, really good um, because you just have a, a core of people who are like ready to go, know exactly who the people are they need to reach, what they need to say. Um, and that was a big part of, of Rwanda's success. So, you know, the analogy that, that this is making me think about is, is exactly like you said, like, is the right solution, you know, you hire 10,000 centralized content moderators, or is it, you know, whatever, you know, the equivalent of that community health work that says like, actually this kind of local specific contextual expertise is really valuable and is worth investing in. And it's just a very different paradigm from the way that we approach um, these questions in a lot of these uh, American contexts. 100%. I mean, it's kind of like a, yeah, it's the classic model also within, you know, the U.S. healthcare of um, preventative versus, you know, pay for service at the end, or it's like, okay, let's just yeah. wait, 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 wait. Oh, and then you go into your doctor at the end versus, oh, maybe the community health worker slash the community librarian on the, you know, in the metaphor here is helping the space be good such that, you know, the amount of PTSD, you know, uh, folks that you have instead of 10,000 or 20,000, you only need uh, 200 or something like that. So I think um, that's a powerful thing here. How do you think about, I mean, I mean, this is making me think kind of two related questions. Well, one is like, I do think that something like Reddit, and this gets into this idea of like, how much, do, how much is the business model of the problem kind of stupid? Or how much is it that, you know, that we don't have the right systems in place? But like something like Reddit feels like it has some of these community moderator vibes. Do you, what are your thoughts on like, you know, is, is that a good proto example for what we might want? So I think, uh, you know, Reddit is much closer uh, to, I think, some of the values that we've we've talked about and identified than some of the other platforms for sure. And I think the way that they've thought about community building and about speech in communities and norms um, is really important. Um, you know, I think uh, that doesn't make it perfect. And in the research that we'll share at the new public festival next week, we have, you know, kind of a pretty nuanced view of Reddit from a bunch of, we, we surveyed a bunch of Reddit super users on kind of qualities of public space and how they think Reddit stacks up. And there are some places where Reddit does incredibly well. There are also some places where Reddit doesn't. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but, but, but I do think in terms of um, how do you construct an intelligible way of making it possible for people to kind of build, um, build well, well-normed, well-organized communities, um, there's a, there's some real, uh, brilliant insights there. Totally. Yeah. It's a funny, it's a tough thing too. Cause I think, I mean, we were just naturally when, again, back to this physical digital metaphor, it's like, and, and something that's difficult with the digital stuff is just the amount of scale is so large. And that's why some kind of like a version of things where you try to like hire the local folks to do stuff. It's like, well, we're dealing with, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of users on Reddit. And so it feels more like something doing something that's native to the platform um, makes sense, like a crowdsourced kind of thing, but maybe with a little bit more intentionality or funding, public funding behind it could be good. Yeah. Um, this, make, this makes me think like, I mean, we're talking a lot today about the kind of, um, examples like like good examples of mapping the digital the public the, sorry the public sphere the the physical sphere into the digital sphere. What do you think about some like counter examples or like you know anti patterns to be aware of like highways or something like that? Yeah, well, I think I mean one one um, you know one of one of my kind of inspirational heroes in this work is Jane Jacobs, who is kind of the the um, you know, mother of modern urban urban planning and thinking about places. And um, her great enemy uh, was Robert Moses, um, <laughs> you know, who who literally was, you know, putting highways that segregated um, New York communities and, um, you know, pretty, pretty structurally kind of an embodiment of structural racism in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the juxtaposition between those styles says a lot about, um, you know, our current digital dilemma because, um, you know, Moses was kind of like a technocratic modernist, um, you know, big projects do them top down, um, you know, bulldoze literally through 
the communities and and get it done. And um, and I can't help but look at some of how um, you know our current tech giants have been built and feel like it's a pretty similar um, mentality and and model. Um, and there's there's kind of uh, you know there's a few things that you're optimizing for, but you're really not listening that much or engaging folks that much um, in in how to build this. And yeah. Um, so 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 I would say that would be one and um you know part of part of my argument is um you know there's you you can look at the social ills that are created by those kinds of systems like uh you know uh New York in the 1970s you know a lot of folks were kind of giving up on the whole notion of New York as a city especially you know uh white families that were kind of fleeing for the suburbs and um you know, it was really a function of kind of this structural uh, design approach, not the inherent vitality or or viability of the city. And so, um, you can misallocate, you know, sort of the 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 blame for that if you're not careful to understand how these designs um, can affect people. Yeah, I think that's a cool. I mean, um, yeah, if we could just get more like Jane Jacobs for the internet, that would be definitely a good thing. <laughs> I feel yeah. like there's, and this is maybe just like a little bit of, of feedback for y'all's in, in yeah. the public, is I think that there's, I mean, I really love the the, the metaphors that y'all are using with parks and with libraries and stuff. And I think um, there's a juicy article waiting that I would love to read about uh, the reverse, those anti-patterns of like, ah, here's what highways on the internet look like. Here's what, yeah. um, you know, big, evil, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. high modernist buildings look like. Um, <laughs> are, are there existing stuff like that? Or what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think we could, we could do more about that. I think, you know, the, the, our project deliberately was um, conceived as you know, there's there's so much important critical work happening on what's wrong with digital space, and we really wanted to try to kind of get some thinking going on. Well, what do we what do we want for it? What do we aspire to? And so, a, a little bit, it's in the nature of that kind of like, um, you know, what what does good look like approach that we're not as focused on um, those those analogs, but absolutely, um, you know, there are there are interesting observations and similarities. And um, and also, you know, the more that we think about this, there's kind of these cross interactions where, like, um, we brought together a bunch of urbanists and and designers and technologists, and one of the things we ended up talking about was teenagers in public space. And the interesting thing that one of the public space designers, this is physical public space, said was, you know, most most physical public spaces are literally designed against teenagers. Like it's like, how do we design this so that it is least conducive to teenage, um, you know, to teenagers hanging out because it's not good for business and because who likes a bunch of annoying, you know, skateboarders in the middle of your serene park and whatever. And so, um, you know, no wonder that so much of teenage life is happening online when we're literally creating, uh, you know, spaces that kind of block block them out and so you know i think that's the other kind of nuance is it's not one or the other it's we're we're all living these days in both and thinking about how those things link up is a whole other dimension to this that we haven't really gotten into totally yeah i was i was i was thinking that the there's as you said, there's both what we've been talking a lot about is the the positives from you know physical space into digital space, and then what I was like, oh, is what what about the negatives from you know physical space into digital space? And what you're saying is, oh, what about the how the interaction between the two, how they co-evolve? And there's another whole other thing, which is um, how can how will the physical spaces learn from the digital spaces? You know, like what will um, when what does a Wikipedia for IRL look like or something? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that'll be juicy. Do you think that there's a um, you know, maybe the the last thought here before we kind of talk about the festival that you guys are are hosting soon. Um, yeah. Chat about in a, a recent newsletter of yours, you um, you reference uh, Rene Duresta piece about um, manufacture or mediating consent in the the 
um, the linguist guy whose name I'm forgetting with manufacturing consent and how yeah. the internet and, and media, um, uh, Chomsky, um, how the, yeah. how, the <laughs> how the internet, um, how media manufactures consent within populations. And you said that that was kind of something you're thinking about now, especially how it relates to the social contract. Could you say more on that? Like how do those things interact and how does it relate to uh, the work you're doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, the point that Renee, um, made that I thought was really profound is that, um, you know, there's the term, uh, you know, manufactured consent has this kind of dark authoritarian ring to it. Um, like, oh, it was manufactured. But um, when you look at where that idea came from, um, you know, uh, consent is not a given and, and consensus is certainly not a given. And um, there are institutions that we've always had that have helped in various ways to build, um, you know, a, a buy-in to how society is going to work um, that uh, is necessary for things to run. And those um, institutions in the past have also been exclusionary. They've been racist. They've been, um, you know, top-down. Um, and so it's not to say like. Uh, let's go back to the good old days. But it is to say that like the project, I think if we want to continue to survive as a democratic society is how do we make new kinds of institutions that do that work, right? Without some of the, without relying on, um, you know, everyone being part of the same church or uh, everyone being worried about the, the police knocking on the door. Um, and that's a really hard project, but to me, um, you know, it's it's the project. It's the big one. Hundred percent. I think it's uh, yeah. It's like you know, manufactured consent just has vibes of the industrial age, you know, and instead yeah. it's like a crowdsourced content or you know, networked consent or something like that. And so, yeah. Do, I mean, do you have any? I know that I think I totally agree that how do we have this like pluralistic, you know, version of reality while also creating these these places for consent or for you know consensus? Do you have any? Um, uh, hypotheses or you know things that you're excited about in that space um on on ways that consent can be manufactured yeah exactly like uh that's the problem that's the yeah, project right. like how do we do this and how, right. so what's great well, so, yeah <laughs> so, so, so i think i mean it goes back to um you know building building digital civic institutions and digital civic life and that doesn't, you know, I think the fallacy there is everyone's kind of like, how do we design a better online political argument? Um, and I actually think like, you know, in the same way that very little of kind of public space in a physical community is dedicated to like strangers arguing about their deepest beliefs. Like that, it's not that there are none of those spaces, but it's like, there's a reason that's like 1% of all of the <laughs> you know space and time used and a lot of it is like literally like recreation centers and ball fields and parks and libraries and that's because those are places where people build a sense of community identity and a sense of trust with each other and familiarity and have fun together and are creative together and so i think what what i'm thinking about is less um yeah, that's that's part of how how people come to be okay with a social contract um, is they have those experiences that make them inclined to tolerate each other and work together and build the you know build the playground. And so, um, you know, I think we, we to my mind, you know that that's that's part of what we need to be building in in digital life. Yeah, I love it. And actually reading, I read your recent article with Danielle Allen, you mm -hmm. know, Danielle Allen for governor of Massachusetts 2022. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, it was a great article. And it was actually that reframe that you just said was an important one for me. It was like, hey, we've spent so much time thinking about, oh, how do we make sure that both sides can like argue productively? It's like, wait, 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 can't we just have people peacefully coexist? You know, that was the language used. And it's like, yeah. that's great. I think that that's great language. <laughs> so I really like that. Yeah. Um, so kind of transitioning into the the last little bit here, um, let's talk about this festival and this, this this event uh, that you all are hosting. Um, 
it's you know the new public festival and again as we chatted about at the very beginning of the show i just think that you know eli and his colleagues have you know curated a great list of folks for this event <laughs> so tell me more about like <laughs> obviously I'm, I'm i'm incentivized to say yeah. that because you know I, they're on my podcast but uh, do you tell me more about like the kinds of you know the goals of the event what people can expect from it you know what your goals are and, and, and the kinds of content and speakers there yeah so um you know we're really just trying to bring together uh a group of people who are um coming from a bunch of different perspectives um whether they're like historians and urban scholars or um technologists and entrepreneurs or um you know people who have built pieces of public infrastructure online um and uh learn from each other and explore a bunch of these tensions and ideally you know do it in a way that um, embodies some of these values that we've been talking about um, and so we're really trying to kind of have it not be um, just a kind of like you know zoom zoom skyscraper with with everybody looking out of their little window um, but all you know something that's like um, you know brings some art into it brings some like experimentation with how people form relationships digitally into the into the context. Um, and, you know, Danielle's going to be speaking there. I find her just like, uh, you know, really, really exciting intellectual um, leader, along with just a lot of other people who have thought deeply about about these questions. And so um, it's really uh, it's it's a great group that's coming already. Um, and, uh, you know, it's still possible to kind of tune in um, if, if folks are interested. Um, that's at newpublic.org slash festival. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the hope is that, you know, really what I want is for as many people as possible who go to it to be like, you know, maybe I'm gonna put my like new photo sharing startup idea aside and get excited about building, you know, building something like a, like a park or a library for the internet, and um, you know, if we had a few of those, I would, I would feel like pretty, pretty excited and pretty successful. Totally, I love that, and I think that that's back to your idea of you know, giving a positive future for people to go towards instead of just saying, oh, blah, 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 Facebook is sad. It's like, well, what are we yeah. actually trying to build then? Um, and so I, I think that's a great thing. And as a, again, for folks, uh, newpublic.org slash festival, is that, is that correct? Yep. That's right. Um, and then uh, also, so it's and it's January twelfth uh, and twelfth uh, through through fourteenth, so next week. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, so as a final final thing here, um, uh, doing a little bit of underrated and overrated at the end of a session. Yeah. So I just ask you, it's a Tyler Cowen thing, you know, like yeah. what? Um, yeah, is it good or bad? Um, and so, or underrated or overrated, rather? What do you think? Wikipedia underrated or overrated? Underrated, I would still still say, despite all the. All the gender issues and everything else. I I think um, um, it's 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 pretty cool. It's so cool. It's so crazy. It's like <laughs> our only source of truth. <laughs> um, I agree. Uh, what about the impact of social media on elections? Mm, overrated. I mean, it's it's unusual, or you wouldn't necessarily expect me to say that as filter bubble guy, but. Um, there are so many factors that shape elections before you get to social media. Totally, totally. Post, it's kind post of elections, to... you know, anything can push it, but the the macro forces are are bigger than social media. Totally, it's back to what you were saying earlier about um, info versus the info layer versus yeah. the human layer. It's like, well, we, what what about the humans on the other side? How are they doing? Um, okay, what do you think about QAnon? Oh, underrated or overrated? Hmm. Um, I don't know even how to evaluate it. Uh, seems like it's having a pretty good run, but I, I, I don't know on what scale to, to rate it. I think that's actually, I didn't really think about that as I uh, wrote it here, but like, yeah, if you say underrated, you know, does that make you like a, right. you know, a QAnon, you know, like Fred or, you know, yeah. exactly like, underrated, man, get into it. It's the coolest thing. No, I think you're right though, that it has a, um, it does seem to be having a surprisingly good run or whatever. So I think that's yeah. the correct answer, the correct answer. Um, great. Well, thank you again, Eli, for coming on the show today. I think it was fun for me just to kind of learn more about the overlap and the, how powerful this metaphor is and how much juicy design space there is, um, you know, in, 
creating digital public infrastructure and digital public spaces. So excited for that. Um, for our listeners, do you want to, besides the, you know, the new public festival next week, uh, is there anything else? Uh, like where can they find you on Twitter or find new public or stuff like that? Yeah, no, um, would love, uh, I'm on Twitter at Eli Pariser dot or at, at Eli Pariser. Um, and uh, our website for new public is newpublic.org. And would love to hear your thoughts and, and be in touch. Um, I also just posted this, uh, the Politico um, op-ed with Danielle Allen that um, you mentioned, and that's, uh, that might be an interesting other, other item to read. Totally. Yeah, I'll, love that. I'll, I'll post in the podcast notes as well. Um, so thanks again, Eli, for coming on today. And thanks again, listeners, to listening. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that episode. The main things that I want to chat about at the end here are just, A, it's a reminder for all of us, the power of metaphors. The metaphor of the feed is damaging for society, while the metaphor of a digital public space, oh, isn't that nice? But seriously, it's it's language is powerful and metaphors are powerful, and we need to be very aware of the metaphors we use for our digital spaces. The other thing is just how much design space there is within digital public spaces. I mean, wow. There's, as Eli and I are chatting about, there's all the positive mappings from the physical to the digital, like parks. There's all the negative mappings, like, oh, what are the highways? What are the bad highways of you know, our digital world? And then there are the reverse things, which are, oh, how can you know the physical world learn from the digital world what does something like wikipedia look like in the physical world and finally there is just the co-evolutionary process between the two i.e you know as eli was saying or eg rather as as eli was saying how do teenagers if if the whole built world doesn't embrace teenagers well that's why they go online to tiktok because there's nowhere for them in the reality so yeah, I think this is a great movement that's happening, and I'm excited to see where digital public infrastructure goes, and I'm excited to be able to participate in and be part of new platforms that are designed with the public good in mind. Great. Bye, everyone. <laughs>